right, all right, all right. Let's do this. I think it's a Newsies cap. Yeah, it's a Newsies cap. I like Is it. Is that the official name for it? I'm 99% what? sure. Really? Yeah. I used to have a hat like that. Actually, I still have a hat like that. I just decided not to wear it because it looks fucking stupid. <laughs> well, you're kind of a fucking asshole. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, the guys discuss the new science fiction drama, Midnight Special, starring Michael Shannon and Joel Edgerton. There is a storm coming, and not a one of you is prepared for it! If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 59 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Toussaint Egan and Nick Cheney. All right, all right, all right, let's do this. Those, yeah. those high school girls, you know what I like about them? They get older. No, I get older. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I get older and they stay the same age. This is what happens when you try too hard, Alex. Ow. There's no tr- there, there's no trying too hard, I don't think, in, in, in life. Unless you're playing baseball, then you can try too hard. Just do. Speaking of baseball... I like, too, how we're ta- doing Matthew McConaughey accents and we're not talking about a film that involves him in any way, shape, or form because we're talking about the film Midnight Special today. Yep. Uh, oh. That stars Michael Shannon and Joel Edgerton. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about another film that the three of us have seen. Which does have something that to do does with involve Matthew McConaughey. That, <laughs> so yes. not that weird. Well, okay. <laughs> if somebody's listening to this episode and just saw uh, that it's about Midnight Special and we are doing the Matthew McConaughey Days and Confused thing. Oh, the fuck put, is this? Yeah. I was, was going to put both movies in the title of our episode. Oh, well. I don't have to do that. No, it, you kind of have to now because right, we just well, made it law right here. Well, so. you know, I mean, this is—I think this is exciting for the listeners. They get to hear how the sausage gets made. You know, I don't want to hear how my sausages get made. That's that's really gross. I, Please stop stop talking about your sausage. Uh, what were you doing earlier with Tucson's mic? How do we turn <laughs> yeah, that down? Just turn it down. Okay. That's okay. Whatever, guys. Tuzan's weird because he somehow uh, sounds the best out of everybody on this podcast, which makes no sense. I know. How does it not make sense? I don't know, man. Hey, we're just talking volume-wise, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, you're just a fucking black guy wearing a beret. I mean... Hey, guess what? My beret is cool. I like my beret. I don't think that... That's not a beret, is it? No, it's like... I think it's like a... I call it my old man cap. I think it's a Newsies cap. Yeah, it's a Newsies cap. I like it. Is that the official name for it? I'm 99% sure. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've heard it called that before. Okay. I'm not willing to give it, like, some kind of stamp, but... Uh, you know, yeah, because I, I, I used to have a hat like that. Actually, I still have a hat like that. I just decided not to wear it because it looks fucking stupid. Well, you're kind of a fucking asshole. I'm sorry. I should, I should repeat. <laughs> I should clarify. I it looks fucking stupid on me. So there oh, you go. Oh, thanks. But not because of you. But because yeah, I mean, of I'm not commenting how it looks on you. <laughs> so, anyways, the movie we're talking about first is called Everybody Wants Some. Was... And if you can suffer through this podcast, then you can suffer through this movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, shit. 
Knowing uh, what you think about it, I'm surprised you gave it that. I'm making that joke because mm-hmm. you essentially have to watch a bunch of testosterone fight each other for the stupidest reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's entertaining, so yeah. that's fine. Just like this podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Richard Linklater <laughs> wrote and directed this film, and uh, you should probably know who he is by now. And if you don't, then look it up. Let me go. Yeah. He was the director of uh, the Before uh, Trilogy, if you want to call it that. Oh, my God. It was so good. Yeah. I've, I've never seen any of those films. What someday. the fuck? Well, I <laughs> We're going to change that. Yeah. yeah someday. Yeah. Uh, he also directed Boyhood and Dates and Confused, among other films as well. Waking Life. He's done a lot of really, really Bad strong news work. Bad Bears. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's done a lot of strong work. Which actually might have more to do with this movie than... Yeah. Quite a few of his other movies. Baseball. (laughs) So anyways, uh, this film uh, basically was a spiritual sequel to Days and Confused. uh, And it's, I guess, in terms of some of the content, in in terms of dialogue, it does have some similarities as it's involved with a very similar kind of hangout situation. But in the 1980s, involving uh, the first days of uh, college, a college year. So, um... I think we all pretty much wanted to see this. I know me and Nick wanted to see it more than Tucson, probably, because we both love Days and Confused, and Tucson's actually never seen that film. I've never seen that, but I've seen Richard Linklater before, and I think I have a... I have an appreciation of what his his shtick is, so... Yeah. Yeah. Don't call it a shtick. It is kind of a shtick. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Nick, however, I know you are probably the biggest fan of Days and Confused out of all of us, even though it's in my top 50 as well. I know, I was going to say. So, um, why don't you go ahead and start us off, uh, just as we do a abbreviated review of the film Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, so Days and Confused, like you said, is one of my all-time favorite movies, and one of yours. Yes. And um, that's, a, that's a movie that, besides the fact that it's just so fucking good, like, like that's just inherent in it um like that's a movie that took the high school experience and probably was the most authentic portrayal of it that i've ever seen despite the fact that it was quite removed from my own experience not because i didn't have those kinds of experience but because of the aesthetics of it and taking place uh felt much different than the culture i grew up in and i think that's the thing about that film as opposed to other works that i've seen of richard linklater's whether it be specifically Everybody Wants Some or Boyhood or some of his other films, the Days of Confused is a really weird kind of study of culture because it is so uh, it is so time-specific as it is in the 1970s in high school, and it is very much specific to that time in terms of what people are wearing, the way people talk. But it yet feels so familiar to my high school experience. Yeah. And it's it's really weird how it's able to capture that, even though it is so ingrained in a culture that was 30 years before my time. I think the reason why – like I haven't seen Days and Confused, but I know it by reputation. And just by what you guys are talking about, like it kind of like stems into like my impressions of something that I have seen, which is the television show Daria. Um, and basically it's kind of analogous in that way because – the fact that it's a it's that Days and Confused is a movie that's taking place during the nineteen seventies, yeah, type, like nineteen seventies high school, mm-hmm. and the fact that uh, Daria takes place in like the nineteen nineties countercultural like vibe of like what high school is, and the reason why there's so much crossover between the two is because it resonates us with us because there's a timelessness about high school. It's like you can have all these different reiterations of like 
the 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 cadences or the 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 language that goes into it like how people like interact with one another like we we never had when we were in high school like we never had yik yak we never had fucking like facebook we had maybe myspace or something like that but even then like generations before that didn't have like that sort of social media but there was still a social ecosystem are you saying we didn't have facebook in high school because we certainly didn't. i'm saying no i'm, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I, I didn't have facebook in high school i'm just talking sort well, of like in, you're old in, 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 the, in, in the general like uh like generational sense but like there is a timelessness of like there's always a jock. There's always the the cheerleader. There's always like the weird group. There's always the cliques that exist in this kind of like ecosystem. Yeah, but see, here's the thing though, and the, the reason why I'll kind of rebuttal what you're saying in, in one simple way, which is that if anything, something like Daria and Days of Confused, like the reason why, and I like both properties. Yeah. The reason why I like Days of Confused is that it absolutely rejects the John Hughesian bullshit of, mm. of how somehow these groups of people like don't coexist together because this, and I'm not saying that, that there's never been a jock who didn't like a nerd, so to speak, if we're just talking stereotype terms or something like that. But it is absolutely not in my experience, uh, as shall we say s- segregated uh as it is so oftentimes uh shall we uh d- depicted in pop culture and days confused is a movie that showed that all these cliques groups or whatever are happening at the same time and at the end of the day quite literally by the end of that day none of it matters because all all they have is each other so that they're just gonna like they'll always be at the same party they'll just be at separate corners of the room now when it comes to, uh, oh uh oh i was just gonna say uh it also helps that um it and, and this is something that i i would say is more specific to that time period than it is now and it's something that doesn't really translate over as well but there is an event that is going to be occurring that is spoken of by many different groups in the film. And the film actually ends with a group of people driving to go get tickets to an Aerosmith concert, which is talked about by multiple different groups throughout. And there's a lot of other rock references from the 70s, whether it be Kiss or other groups like that. But it's just like it's just friends who are hanging out and having a good time and enjoying their high school years. And I think... That's something for me that I really love so much about Days Infused and also about Everybody Wants Some, although I think they're trying for two separate things in terms of what their ultimate goal is from Linklater trying to show this film to you. And in Days Confused, I feel like it's trying to show how important it is not to really worry about anything really at any point in terms of rules or uh, what's expected of you really about finding yourself the only way to do that is to think about what you like and what you want to do with your time as opposed to what you're supposed to be doing in terms of going to college or playing sports or or anything like that like i feel like days confused it's much more about finding yourself as a person and being comfortable with yourself as a person than anything else absolutely i think days confused like like you just pretty much said is that like that's it depicts the last time in your life where you won't be forced to put on an identity like you you might have one through osmosis of the activities you do and whatnot Mm -hmm. but in general it is so freeform that you could one day be this one day that be, be that 
So let's talk about everybody wants them. Mm-hmm. When this movie starts, this is quite, since it's especially for our, I would call him the protagonist, but that's a very loose term here. <laughs> um, but when our protagonist shows up for the first day of college, you know, like it, college is very much the first time in your life where you have to choose an identity. And, uh, you know, shows like by Judd Apatow, like Undeclared, kind of already tackled that kind of sentimentality where you're being forced to pick something when you haven't even actually sampled any options and and like the futileness of that kind of mentality welcome to life yeah and (laughs) this movie does that very well i think and ultimately it took i i think it goes one step further than days confused not to say that it means it's better but (laughs) if i love days confused for the reasons of it like taking this hodgepodge uh, group of people that you know most uh pop culture doesn't put together all in the same room and pretend that it would happen. What I love about Everybody Wants Some is that it, it, it goes much smaller in scale. It, it, it only focuses on this uh, on this jock group, this baseball team, uh, who are all... Uh, I mean, they, they run the gamut, don't they, of grade levels? Like, they're freshmen, juniors, seniors, yeah. sophomores. In yeah. terms of incoming freshmen yeah. or sophomores or people who are... Seniors who are sort of leading the yep. the group well at the same time. It's weird too, if you don't mind if I step in really quickly. The character who actually uh is played in this movie by Tyler Hotchlin. Uh and <laughs> I, I brought him up when we saw the film because he's actually plays Tom Hanks' son in the movie Road to Perdition. Oh man, which is now is this the a, the protagonist that I was no, so, it's I not. Forgot, okay, he I is the names. the senior with the black mustache. Is he the one who I always want to say is related to Oscar Isaac? I believe so. Yes, yes. Okay. because he totally looks like it. Yeah, a little bit. He does. He does kind of. Uh, what I what I really liked about his character, and I think for me, he was my favorite character in the entire film, is. He was this really weird kind of jock person who played both sides of the coin somehow, where he was a total asshole to people, but at the same time, he was this weird leader in the back of everything, where he seemed to have this aura about him that he could be the person that people will go to if they have problems, but at the same time... He doesn't give a fuck. Right, but 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 he does at the same time. Yeah. Like, it's really hard... We see him give a fuck, uh, yeah. like when he's playing ping pong or, like... I'm well, just but saying, I, I think those are little moments that show... He's supposed that... to be too cool to give a fuck and too right. skilled but to give a fuck, but he does. It's not even... It, it, it seems weird to say, but out of everybody in the film, it seems like he's the most comfortable with the kind of person he's become throughout the entirety of the film where there are characters who throughout the three days that we see seem to at least grow somewhat in, in, in their characters and have more of an arc, but he seems to be quite level with, with what kind of person he is, which makes sense with him being towards the end of his college experience. And he's kind of showing what a, a person you could become for better or for worse can be. And as I, and I liked his character a lot as opposed to who was that one guy who looked like weird Al Yankovic, who was way too into everything. And he was just so fucking annoying, but he was actually pretty good at baseball. Yeah. I, I that's the, that's the hard part about this movie is that I don't remember anybody's name. I remember like, Finn Finnegan. Um, like he was, yeah. a, he was a funny guy and there. Yeah. He's the guy who I just could not look at and not think of Thomas Jane with a mustache. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, Obviously, I didn't go into this film with the the referent of having watched like Days and Confused. I have watched like other Linklater films, such as like Waking Life and uh, the the Before trilogy and Boyhood. And I think that at least in that way, I kind of understand like what 
Linklater is able to go for and that he's able to kind of like make films that are sort of act as like time capsules of experiences. Like each of the before like films like take place over the course of a night or, 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 or a day. Um, you have Boyhood, which takes place over the course of a lifetime, which depending on like who you ask can either be very long or very short. And I thought that this film was really interesting because it seemed like such a all of the all of the the implicit visual nuances and the audible cues that I would take from like being in a part of the eighties were all there. And I didn't feel like it was just like beating me over the head like this was the eighties, but rather this was like this this film exists in a time that predates my own existence and yet i'm so familiar to it simply because it touches home to things that i've experienced before like going to college for the first time uh touches into like trying to uh, fit into a new social circle and basically like over the course of the film i was trying to like wrangle what exactly is this film and what is it trying to accomplish and really it's just trying to like look at all these different subgroups that jake has to go through with his uh, with his baseball team and how they just like maneuver from one party to the next and really how they're not so different after all. They go to a fucking – I love the moment when they went to a fucking punk show and they were playing the uh, Gilligan's Island theme. And I'm just like, man, it's like it's a fucking time to be alive. And I was like, that's fucking intertextuality. That You didn't have to wait until like the 21st century to like have that happen. It was happening in the fucking 80s. That's dope. Well, the thing that's great about this film, and it does something that's quite similar to Days and Confused and the way you're talking about, mm-hmm. is that it shows that we can be – people can – work with and coexist and be friends with other groups yeah. and they don't have to always be separated, which is something that unfortunately um, our society seems to trying to be getting more towards is just having this separation and, and having cliques and groups be more important in terms of whether it be religious groups or political groups or yeah. things like that. Like I feel like tolerance of other people and acceptance of other people for who they are is shown very much in Days and Confused and in this film. And I, I love it because I'm the kind of person who's exactly like that. Like, I would love to be friends with somebody who's really into something that I'm not into. Mm-hmm. But I like that they're into that. And if they're a good person who wants to be friends with me and is interested in what I'm into at the same time, then, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter, matter because people are different. But at the same time, we have a lot more similarities than differences. And we just have to accept and embrace our differences but at the same time also wait a minute I know, are, are right? you are you describing life or are you describing this podcast because that's exactly the reason why i'm on this podcast <laughs> is like you guys have such different opinions about film and i love it just because yeah. it tests my own like right like, like we're right you're but, wrong oh fuck you <laughs> but that's i think ultimately what this film and a lot of other link later films try to go for is that yeah. showing that Humanity is not necessarily about trying to separate yourself into these subgroups and, and stay that way. It's about embracing the group that you're in and that you want to be a part of, mm-hmm. but also embracing other people in their groups and enjoying them at the same time, even though maybe it's not what you're into. And for different purposes, too. Like we see the guy, who uh, Finnegan or Finn or whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. who's pretty much just going off to these different bars slash clubs or groups or whatever and like, try to get laid like acting like a chameleon uh, just like yeah, yeah i've got a pretty average looking dick and i'm just like <laughs> going for that whole spiel and it's like yeah man i'm really into like that whole like nietzsche shit right now <laughs> yeah uh yeah something i said when we had 
first left the theater after we saw this movie is that I had, I love this movie because, and I mentioned this earlier too, but like my favorite conceit in narrative fiction is what I call like an empathy bait switch where you'll introduce me to characters that I should hate on paper because like, and maybe that makes me an intolerant person, but I'm not going to suffer through a bunch of handsome men complaining about getting laid and like, and having no other defining characteristics and so that's why i love that the movie does start with that like that's all that their purpose is in life i think that like that the whole appeal of like an empathy bait switch why it really resonates with a lot of audiences and probably me even with yourself and myself is because at least i've been conditioned into thinking that that's almost one of the most um the most salient uh evidences of an arc of 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 coming into a character and fucking hating their guts and then by the end of it i'm just like man like e- even if i don't like you it's like i kind of feel bad for you it's like holy shit yeah yeah and, and the way this movie does that for me which i think is phenomenal this is probably i'll say this right now this is like my second favorite movie of the year mm. that i've seen mm-hmm. first if i don't include a festival movie because <laughs> we went to sundance but um <laughs> Like the fact that this movie did introduce me to a bunch of people that I should hate, and then slowly, without giving any of them like a character moment where you can like point at it and go, oh, "He was molested as a kid." <laughs> like, oh. like I'm giving like an extreme example, <laughs> but that's like the cheap way to do it or something. Like here, the movie doesn't try to do that at all. It's just the more you get to know, and that's actually it starts to I would say emulate what it feels like to gain new friends, which is this, especially I would say male friends. And I'm not trying to be sexist, no, but, but as far as how like when you like you're so I would say that a lot of times males when they first meet each other are so uh, shall we say untrusting of each other because there is this competition element, uh, and like the more the more you break that down, the more uncomfortable and yet comfortable you get because mm-hmm. you start to realize that like oh shit we should be friends like yeah. And so you like, like that shit? I like yeah. that shit. Let's be friends. <laughs> yeah, but you're also, basically I, describing I like how we first met. Yeah, and, <laughs> that's awesome. And like the and what and so I love that this movie does that. And then also the fact that it culminates, uh, even though there's some stuff after it for sure. But the fact that this might be the best sports movie I've ever seen, which I say half jokingly, <laughs> because of the fact that I absolutely love that this movie uh, culminates. I think in the climax with the the baseball practice, we see these boys coexist together. And get to know one another or just party if they already knew each other Mm -hmm. for an entire, almost an entire weekend. And then they have to go to baseball practice. And that scene in which they're on the field and they are just – and that's the thing. They're just practicing. (laughs) It's not a game, you know, whatever. And tensions are starting to run. And there's no one specific reason. It's not like you can, like, completely, like I said earlier, like pinpoint, like – oh, because he punched that guy in the face at that party on Saturday, he's going to hold that grudge. It's just this, the, the way that the, the tension just mounted over from the party. And, it actually feels real. Yes, <laughs> and it's this unexplainable, like, uh, I wouldn't say uh, dislike, but this, like, okay, how do you separate our identities of who we were and now our identities as teammates? Like, do we completely shed that away? And, and, and just the inability to it. I, I just thought that was phenomenal. Who are we? Completely understated and uh, just fantastic. I yeah. love this movie. So do we want to give ratings for this or just say that we liked it and move on? I liked it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I loved it. Yeah, I know. So. I know you were you were a big fan, even bigger than I thought you were going to be. Oh yeah, I thought it was fantastic. So mm-hmm. somebody, I think David Ehrlich, uh, called this the Magic Mike XXL of <laughs> of, of twenty sixteen, and I, I would agree with that because obviously I love that movie and I love this movie. But like at the end of the day. Unless you do have like an extremely low tolerance for bros being bros, because that certainly is what this is, bruh. But unless you have like the lowest tolerance for that, it's just a fucking good time. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed it, and I would say if uh, this finds its way to a theater near you, you should go see it. Especially if anyone out there is a fan of Linklater's previous work, this is pretty much more of the same and par for the course in terms of his previous films. Can I ask one quick question? Mm-hmm. I guess, sorry, Juslav, this is not a question for you. Oh, yeah. I know, I don't mean, I'm used to that. <laughs> but as somebody who has seen Days of Confused and Alex as you, would you say that this lived up to the idea of a spiritual sequel? Yeah. Whatever that means in your head. Like, like yeah. It wasn't like false advertising. So no, I mean, yeah. I feel like saying a film is a spiritual sequel and kind of coming out front and saying exactly what it is and then going into this film and seeing what it ended up being – I actually totally agree with what he said. And I yeah. I think why I say that, and I totally agree with it, is that I feel like if you said nothing about how this relates to Days and Confused, people would go out of their way to talk about how much it is related to Days and Confused because you'd be making those connections even more so if you hadn't already been thinking about it. Yeah. Does it take place in the same universe? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> well, not only that, but also I just wanted to bring that up just to tell our listeners because of the fact that we live in an age where directors are continually, I would say, misleading our audiences. <laughs> and like, this is not an alien sequel. This is not a whatever. Uh, yeah. Khan is not in our movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blofeld will not make an appearance. You name it. So I, I just, I really respect a filmmaker who not only put all the cards on the table, but also accurately put them on the table. I love it how those two, like two out of those three examples that you just gave involve Damon Lindelof. Yeah, he's good at that, isn't he? Uh, that's the operative word, well, good. And the last thing I'll say about everybody wants some being related to Days Confused is that it, it really doesn't have even the smallest connection in terms of script-wise or, or story-wise or anything like that. But in terms of the feel between the characters and the different universes that it's in, it does have that familiarity to it. And I think that's ultimately what a spiritual sequel is trying to be. So it, it, it very much accomplished what the the meaning of the word spiritual sequel to Days Confused was for me. Like it, yeah. it, I totally understand where he was going for with this. And I was very much in agreement with this being described as a spiritual sequel to Days Confused. Agreed. After I saw it, I was like... It, when he first announced he was making a spiritual sequel, I was like, "Oh!" But then Ooh. after I saw it, I'm like, "Not only am I glad he made one, I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad that that he was able to call it that because yeah. uh, instead of because I could have seen him maybe trying to do a before thing, not with maybe with the same actors, but try to. But I'm glad that Linklater seems to be the kind of director that will only do something if he thinks it's necessary or in the service of the story, so to speak. Yeah. Anyway. I liked it. I liked the way it was uh, presented, and I liked the outcome. And I I really look forward to seeing it again at at home, too, because I feel like that's where I've become accustomed to viewing Days Confused of on a summer day, having the windows open in my house and putting that film on, and I could do the exact same thing with this one. And and it it takes mul- it's taken multiple viewings over many years for me to kind of get where I am with Days Confused, and I feel like it'll probably be the exact same way with this film. Are you gonna watch it with your wife? 
Probably. I'm looking forward to like hearing her commentary because she always pulls out something that's like genius. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, she looks at films in a different way than I do, which most people have differences between them. But I feel like she looks at everything in such a literal sense. But it's 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 hard for me to watch movies like that. Like I feel like yeah. maybe back in the day I used to, but not anymore. And I, I'd love to be able to go back to that. And I love that that's how she sees movies and that's what she likes about them. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see what her, her thoughts are on this film, but I, I'm really interested to see what she thinks about every film. So yeah. viewing yeah. party, yeah. <laughs> two different frequencies on the critical apparatus, but I like, yeah. yeah, no, I think, I think she'd enjoy it. And I think she'd uh, be interested in the story, especially because this film, um, everybody wants some, is kind of weird because in terms of if we wanted to compare story structure wise with Days and Confused, this film is much more focused on a love interest than I even thought it like would have been looking back because there are relationships that are happening in Days Confused, but they're way more abstract and sort of hard to grasp exactly what's happening where this has a clear beginning, middle, and end structure to it. That's actually, high school, though. Now that you just brought that up, I actually want to comment on that. Sorry to elongate this mm. conversation. But that's something I love about the differences between the two, whereas like love in high school is such a fleeting, meaningless thing. I love the idea that this relationship, not that it's given a lot of screen time, mm. but it's certainly the, the only real story arc that's given, I would say, more screen time than any other story beat, so to speak. But I love the idea that when you like once you get to college, then I'm not, I'm not saying everybody is like this, or whatever, <laughs> but your decisions with regards to sex and love start to seem like weirdly finite and possibly permanent if you do the wrong thing or the right thing. And mm -hmm. I like the way that this just felt like that and that, you know, you start placing importance on things, even if you don't have to, because you're being told that this is the first day of the rest of your life. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people are buying into that. And we see that multiple times with, with different characters, not even just the, the main character in the main story that's focused on, but even the side character that everyone seems to not like, who leaves for most of the film to go with his girlfriend somewhere and that all their relationship happens off screen, which I think is interesting because we get pretty much descriptions of everything that's happening, but we never actually see any of it. So it's quite interesting. Way to go, Richard. <laughs> so the main film we're talking about today is Jeff Nichols' Midnight Special. If you don't know anything about Jeff Nichols, he's been around for a while and he's made some pretty outstanding films, including Take Shelter and the film Mud. Uh, I would say in terms of being more well-known, uh, Take Shelter pushed him into sort of a realm of being able to get bigger names and get more uh, people to notice kind of movies he's making. And Mud then was kind of the culmination of that as he made a film with Matthew McConaughey and, uh, and younger... One of the signature movies in the McConaughey's. It, it was. It was Matthew McConaughey being able to be taken seriously in a movie. <laughs> and it's actually, I mean... It's actually a really good movie. I I, yeah. I I thought I was going to dislike it, and I ended up really liking it. And I've I've actually never seen Take Shelter, but Nick has given it very high praise. I so. love that movie. Yeah. So Jeff Nichols has done some previous good work, and he uh, put this film together, which is about a father and son on the run as they are pursued by the government and a cult who is drawn into the child's special powers. What do you know about Altenmeyer? Give it if it fits. Things would break. 
cars shut down, that kind of thing. Others have described seeing things. Did he show you things? Yes. What kinds of things? I wouldn't know where to start. We need to know where he is. What you're dealing with, do you? It's okay. It's okay. Let's go, move it, move it, move it. Uh, this film stars Michael Shannon and Joel Edgerton. Also features Kirsten Dunst. Uh, the kid, whose name is Alton Meyer, is played by Jaden Leibhur. I probably said that wrong, but that's okay. And uh, other people showing up here are uh, regulars who have been in previous Jeff Nichols films, including Paul Sparks and Sam Shepard. And also we get the first uh, post-Star Wars appearance for Adam Driver. Yeah. Who I actually... Um, have some interesting thoughts about his character in this film, uh, and we will get to that in a little bit. Um, well, you little tease. Yeah. Uh, who wants to start? Because I feel like we all have different thoughts on this film, and I feel like one of us is, is going right. to have said that they really liked it. One of us is going to say that they were kind of in the middle, and one of us is say they didn't care for it that much. So... Who do you th- who do you guys think should go first? It's gonna be a game of Jeopardy. We're just gonna should we flip a three headed coin? I don't. That might be a tough one. That to... doesn't exist. Eh, we can make it exist. Yeah, with that kind of attitude, it won't. You saw it. Well, let's just go in the middle and start with the person who is kind of right in between, at least in terms of the one who liked it of the actual physical like table. No, I mean in 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 the real world oh, because okay. we all were a little bit different on yeah. how we viewed this film. And Toussaint was the one who was kind of in the middle of uh, everyone's opinions. Yeah. So why don't we start with him and hear your thoughts on the film Midnight Special? All right, cool. I mean, I'm hate to reiterate this. I'm a science fiction fan. I had already heard about like what the film was sort of about. It was sort of about this this father who was trying to protect their child from like this cult or whatever and he had special powers and I looked at the the poster and I'm just like yeah that kind of looks like the music video from uh, the M83 album Hurry Up We're Dreaming and I'm just like I can fuck with that I mean I like that throwback like 19 19- could fuck with that I can yeah I can fuck with that and I was just like it wow what sorry that's the uh that's the yeah. that's the the contemporary nomenclature of like I co-signed this I don't know if it is, but... Actually, it totally is. You should look it up. Um, Hope you use lube, man. Whatever. Sorry, grandpas. Anyway. um, (laughs) Anyway, I... I'm younger than you. (laughs) 
<laughs> you don't act like it. Um, but I'm going to die first. Oh, anyway, um, I really enjoyed the, the first act of this film. I didn't like the... I, I thought the, the second act was kind of like middling, and I absolutely did not like the, the third act. Even though I really enjoyed the architecture design in the finale of of this film. It's like I feel like this film sort of like plays into being the spiritual successor to the vibe of Tomorrowland that I never asked for but I'm okay with anyway. The whole Tomorrowland. I want to put a kibosh on this. You know like, what? If not just because I like Tomorrowland yeah. and I mean like barely liked. I'm not trying to defend that movie. Yeah. But the connection between those two movies is so tenuous. Because, it is tenuous. Okay, but like as far as it being some kind of spiritual suit, whatever, like these movies are doing completely different. Things. I know they're doing, okay. but in, I will the, in say, the third act. Okay, let, let's let's I'll put this out there. Yeah. Um, in terms of story wise, there's hardly any connection to Tomorrowland at all. No. Yeah. There's no connection. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, but when you get to the finale of this film. In terms of aesthetically comparing Tomorrowland and this film, there's no way you couldn't. Let's yeah. put it that I'm way. I'm not saying I couldn't see where somebody would like like aesthetic or thematically. Think. Yeah, Th- well, that's what I mean though. Thematically, no, I don't no. get that. Like I aesthetically, I get because that's quite literally the same concept as far yes. as like something else is at the same which which the which, same which, space, which, which makes me feel like. How can you not understand? Right. Like, like, yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, in Midnight Special, the, like the Tomorrowland of the movie, so to speak, is such a fringe part of the movie. Mm-hmm. It, it could very well also not be shown, so to speak, on screen, and the movie would be the same. Yeah, I mean, I I, was, I really enjoyed that it was shown on screen because right. I'm really a fan of like science fiction architecture and right. stuff like that. Um, but mostly, you're right. It's not. I, I say it's a spiritual successor to Tomorrowland in the way that, like, the third act kind of, like, plays into being, like, a, 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 in my opinion, a thematic and a aesthetic continuation of that same futuristic vibe that Tomorrowland has. So, yes. can I ask you a question? Yes. Can you please, because I can definitely understand the aesthetic, and I'm not saying we're not going to talk about the aesthetic, yeah. but can you go into a little more detail as to how the third act, which I guess... A, we're going to spoil mm-hmm. listeners, but also B, I guess I'm just going to one sentence describe it. Okay. But the end of the movie is quite literally after Michael Shannon's character is trying to get his son with uh, uh, Kristen Dunn's, uh, his partner. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not married, right? Yeah, there's, they're separated. There's, there's not that much description, right. but it, it appears that that they have they they were together, and then they after they had their child got involved with this cult, but we don't really. We don't really have a great description in terms of... We'll get to that later. Yeah. Okay. But those two, with the aid of Michael Shannon's character's brother, played Mm -hmm. by Joel Edgerton... Brother? uh, They're not brothers. They're friends. They were friends. They were friends, sorry. Previously. I misspoke. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the aid of his friend are trying to get uh, his, uh, Michael Shannon's character's son, back to his home. And Mm. there's... They're trying to get him. They're trying to get him to a. Okay, can I explain place, this plot now? The, 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 these certain I, I coordinates okay. in the middle of Georgia somewhere. Okay. Yes. I. I yeah. You, you can't just, like. Well, I mean, I mean, that's. But, it, you can't watch this. I'm film describing the third in, act. In, so you can't yeah. watch this specific film and not nitpick certain details oh, of it. Okay. Only if you're watching it for that reason. Like, no, I'm not even saying about watching it for that reason. Like, I, I, I honestly cannot see anybody watching Midnight Special and not going, what? Come on. Like, really? Because I yes. didn't. 
well, that's fine then. You can just go ahead and not pay attention to details and then bring up small things in other films and say how... This has happened to every single one of us on the podcast. No, this has happened every (laughs) single time for me in almost every episode. (laughs) It's the truth. Anyway... Uh... <laughs> you can't you can't contest it anyway. So because I'm not opening that can of worms. Yeah, you're not opening that can of worms anyway. So what you're you're going at oh, is wait, like yes, I, I, I I think it's it's interesting about like your reaction to <laughs> like the the contention with the whole like comparing it to like thematically to Tomorrowland. It, it's interesting that when we we left out of the theater that I felt like the film explained too much. Whereas if I'm remembering correctly, you thought the film didn't explain enough. Well. Explain much like because if enough would imply that I wanted to explain more. There's a literally a scene where the kid like he's not supposed to be out in the sun because like his powers will come out and he like starts like destroying buildings and other shit like that, right? But he actually goes out into is that though? Yeah, that's what it is. I'm saying that's like hinted at. No, but... that's that's ex- explicitly like like stated that he can't go outside. That's why they have like no, the no. Cover. It's not. It's not stated that he can't. It's stated right. that he. He had issues that were involved with the daytime before, and they decided just to put a kibosh on it before it got and any worse. I'm saying, as a fan of this movie, the movie is completely inconsistent with its rule. <laughs> no, but no, it, its, it yeah. is with yeah. its rules as to what this kid can do and can be affected by. There's literally a scene where the kid comes out of like being in the daylight, and he basically is able to open up a pocket dimension to see like this so-called world that he is a part of, or whatever, or he has a has a connection to. And he literally like sits down all three of the main characters who are helping shepherd him on his way and it's like i think i know where i like who i am and like where i come from now it's like there's our world and then there's a world above ours and they've been watching us for a very long time and i'm just like that's basically what fucking Tomorrowland is but that's equating like the language of a five-year-old to somebody who's trying to do a thesis on like like i'm just saying like Tomorrowland is pretty much like the description of a five-year-old right i know we're getting that's a bad movie haha but i'm not i'm not even saying that but like just take what he's saying and you can't actually extrapolate much i would say significance behind that uh, but they just, show you that world they they show you a a part of it like they don't quite literally show you like the world cuz I, I would assume that it it, it I, but, I i disagree because like when i i'm just saying the scope of that climax when when i came out of that and out out of seeing that scene of like basically the kid opens up a portal and it's basically able to show like within this, this sphere, like an alternate reality earth where all of this architecture and all this crazy stuff and all these metaphysical, like highly evolved, like human beings that exist. But see, like, you say that, but like, like what are they, are they not like, all I'm trying to say is that I don't think the film, like you're, and I, that doesn't mean you're wrong, mm-hmm. but you're interpreting an event instead of like, I would say, but you're, you're, you're starting to say that the film is somehow, giving that information out as fact and i don't think the film ever does that ever i'm not uh, trying to say it's it's giving it out as fact i'm just saying that like all the stuff that i've seen in that film kind of like leads me to believe that okay. those people that are in that alternate bubble like universe are alternate versions of human beings that have existed that have like like they they basically stratified on a different evolutionary chain and basically they 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 have a more futuristic here, advanced here, society. Here's the thing about the film Midnight Special for me and and I don't say that this is a good or bad thing about the movie but it doesn't give any sort of clear definition of that right. though. It just sort of leaves Could it there. Could you see how somebody would watch yeah. that finale and interpret it as like that those are souls I like I, that like that those are the dead or something like I th- That's and, the same thing with uh with 
like a movie like Steven Spielberg's AI? Are those like fucking like robots at the end? Are they fucking aliens? Like what are those? Yeah, it's 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 sort of like around the same. I, I can see where you're coming from in in that regard. Like somebody who has not seen Acura eight hundred times and has not seen uh, uh, Steven Spielberg or like the entire series of Fringe from J.J. Abrams before may come to a very different conclusion than I have. Right. And neither one would be the right answer because I don't think this film even tries to give an answer other than like, like aesthetically, like it gives uh, the character of uh, Kristen Dunst a, a wonder to look at, so to speak, but she in no way understands what's happening. And I think the audience is supposed to be in that same boat for me. They're not supposed to understand it. It's like some crazy ass shit. I, the, the, the thing that leads me to believe... Which gets you to the religious aspect of this movie. Yes, but one one last thing is, like, when we're talking about, like... The, the thing that leads me to believe that those creatures or whatever they are are evolutionary, like, extensions of humanity along an alternate train is the final scene of this film. Where we see Michael Shannon, who's being detained or whatever, he's got, like, electrodes or whatever, like... Like hitched to his 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 scalp, and before like the scene actually cuts to black, does he? Yeah, he does. I thought he. I, I genuinely he just does. don't remember. Yeah, that. I he, thought yeah. he was just there. Yeah, he's he's just like a, a prisoner. You no, know, he's it. just like a prisoner and stuff. He has like these electrodes that are just like hooked to his actual scalp. I'm just and, genuinely. Do you remember that at all? I, I, I've got to be honest with you. I pretty much checked out at that point. I, so. I, <laughs> I don't remember, I remember exactly that. What well, we know how you felt about the movie. I remember that, and <laughs> okay. it was there. It's like the, the thing that happened right before it cut to black is that his eyes glowed the exact same color as his as his child's no, eyes did. I don't remember yes, that. they did. Yeah, I don't remember dude, that either. Go back and watch this film. Like, I, I'm not going to. <laughs> dude, go back and watch that final scene. It's like I. That's what makes me think that like. Never mind. His no, like, I, I just – all I'm saying at this moment in time is I generally don't remember it. Not that it didn't happen. Yeah. But as someone who liked the movie, you're saying new information and I kind of want to rewatch it now. Yeah. Like I, I, I noticed that, that, that there's a reason why that kid was special and like it carries over to his dad. It carries over to just other people than just him. Okay. So I don't mean to take this away. Yeah, go me. ahead. Okay. I guess I'm just going to go into my thoughts because I think the reason as to why, A, you noticed that and I somehow missed it, and I'm still contesting whether I fully believe it until I rewatch it. Okay. But I will fully concede once I watch it if it, that's what happened. That's fine. But the reason why that would have escaped me is because I never once cared about the sci-fi elements of this movie. Mm. And this is a movie for me that I, I, I really enjoyed. I didn't love, but I really liked because I like that it took this sci-fi concept, so to speak, and it, it really is just a very touching uh, analogy for what it means to be a parent, to try and get your kid to a destination to essentially leave you in some way. And I just I thought that was kind of beautiful, and I thought the way it handled it was pretty great because I thought this was more of a character-driven piece, even though I, I'll contest that it that, – that, it's not wholly successful as a character-driven piece because there are a lot of moments when the, shall we say, the mythology of the, even if I think it's bare minimum, uh, interrupts the the momentum of the character. Yeah, I, I think that even divorced of all of those sci-fi trappings that I that kind of like drew me into the film, like I don't feel like that's the actual like heart of what it's supposed to be about. I don't think that it's at its heart supposed to be a spiritual successor to Tomorrowland. I think but it's that loud. It's loud. It's a very. It's a lot of visual noise. Um, I think that it's hard. It's a story about a father and a son and their connection to one another through like the the dualistic aspect of faith of of the son having faith in 
in the Father and the Father having faith in the Son and basically like the Holy Spirit, Amen. I was just gonna fucking say that, you son of a bitch, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he's pretty much Jesus with blue eyes, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you talking about me or the kid? <laughs> Fuck off. I do think you wouldn't if, say that to Jesus, would you? If I can, oh. if I can cut cut in really quickly here, Nick, cut a rug. Um, in in terms of my description of religion in this film, which it never really delves deep into, other than when we see the cult in the early parts of the film, we get shafted. It, yeah, uh, it, it it is sort of an more of an undertone than anything in terms of it's not loud and trying to be like here's futuristic religious possibilities, whatever. But I feel like it's interesting because I think that this film is is much more in terms of the way I would think about a film and in terms of a, a society that lives around us and with us or, or above us. That I feel like, and maybe I'm just thinking this because I'm looking at the poster for it right now, but I feel <laughs> like I would compare this film and sort of the kind of the the higher power sort of feelings of the characters who are mainly involved with this film compared to a film like Prometheus more than other religious films, even though I prefer a film like Prometheus because it delves more into like exploring that. But in terms of alternate realities for what possibly the rest of the world is that isn't necessarily involved with what humanity's beliefs for religion have been throughout time, where it sort of shows you people trying to compare this to actual religious things that have happened and oh actually it's completely different than everything you've previously thought of and here's what it may be and you can stop that right now well i'll say this much as far as why i'm completely okay with the way that like the cult storyline even though i won't call it that i'll I'll Mm -hmm. call it the cult section is brought up and then quite Almost, abruptly almost entirely yeah. but not entirely almost entirely uh dismissed obviously mm-hmm. the two uh guys which reminded me of the two weird homoerotic uh t- uh henchmen from diamonds are forever the, the James Bond movie, <laughs> who just won't leave james bond the fuck alone um, is, is, really quick yeah. is the guy who was like the main guy among those two who was given the task of finding him is he the guy who was on the bridge at the end of the second season of the leftovers i'd have to rewatch both of okay those, I, have to I still finish that i'm remember. going to look it up right now yeah, you that. continue your thoughts All right. yeah. um but and this may reveal how I feel about religion in real life, but <laughs> religion in this movie is a sideshow. It is a distraction that will actually obscure you from what will be actually meaningful and purposeful in your life. And I like the way that uh, Alex is giving me thumbs up. So it was him, yeah. It is him. Yeah. Look at that. The I guy co-signing the... my religious beliefs. No, no. He's, <laughs> he's, he's the guy with the noose on the bridge oh, in the second that. season of The Leftovers. So there at, you go. Look at this guy. <laughs> Mr. IMDb over here. So you're going for a whole like opiate of the masses sort of like like vibe with that. Yeah. Well, and what I love about uh, the way religion is introduced in this movie versus the actual ending of the movie is that the ending... And I think I'm going to get disagreements from both of you here. <laughs> but the ending to the to the movie was the furthest thing from a religious experience I think it could have done. And not because I can't understand why somebody would view it as like mm-hmm. a religious thing as far as like, you know, your chosen one, whatever. Chosen one. <laughs> I'm coming. Yeah. But what I love is that uh, 
Kristen Dunn's character when she essentially has to let her son go. Not only does she not understand what's happening whatsoever, but she understands the main crux, which is that she's about to lose her son to whatever's in front of her. When I first saw that cult, like my immediate uh, thoughts about the vibe of what that, that place was supposed to be is like when I finally understood like what they were actually doing and who they actually were automatically I think of like places and people like Jonestown. I think of heaven's gate. Like I think of that is a very specific brand of evil that exists in the world. And I, and I have seen it before. Um, I was actually really disappointed about how that panned out because I thought there were some actually like really interesting like ideas. Cause I wanted to see how this, this supposed like commune cult sort of like work because obviously they they adhere to everything that is supposed to be on the the checklist of being a cult. They're, they're basically self sustaining. They're uh, basically cut off from the grid, so to speak. They still pay their taxes out of obligation of having to do that, but they've kind of like created this microcosm of a society where they yeah. they built their own like criteria and their own rules and stuff like that. But and I want to talk about but, those rules. But they're in Texas. Yeah, they have. Uh, they, don't, don't mess with them. No, they're in Texas. They have previously purchased automatic weapons. Yep. And there's no way I feel like you can see their cult and not think of something like the Branch Davidians. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which I feel like this film, unfortunately, makes it a little too... Like, with too a couple, on the news? Yeah, it, yeah. It, with a couple simple changes in terms of structure, they could have maybe made that relationship a little bit less apparent. I, I mean, cults by their nature just aren't that original they're they're all kind of like yeah, like spoons true yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's true it's, that it's, that is true but in terms of comparing it to something that is real world i feel like you could have at least made that a little bit less apparent uh, can i ask you guys a question yeah mm-hmm. just because i and i'm gonna play devil's advocate here okay the cult's shall we say, involvement with this movie's storyline the main storyline of getting the child to the coordinates did you think, and it would be extremely valid, and if not, probably the most correct, whatever, uh, did you think that they were trying to get him back because they wanted to, like, learn more from him and that they, they, they wanted to, like... No. I don't think they were trying to learn. So I'm curious, just before I say what I was going... Sorry. Not what I was going to say, what I want to say. I want to hear what you have to say about that idea before I say. So please, what do you think the, the intention was behind like him sending out the two men and like trying to get the child back at all costs? It's a, uh, a classic case of um, rapture assurance. Basically, they said that we will be saved. They basically, like one of the people actually says, like, we will be saved if the child is with us. Like, they think that the child, like, if they, they go with the child to these actual coordinates and they are actually with them, like, he's actually with them, then they will be saved and they will be able to ascend to this next plane of existence or whatever the fuck they thought it was. But I just wanted to tangentialize just for a real quick because I want to talk about the actual rules of this cult because I feel like they were. You're 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 probably gonna roll your eyes at me and say that this is just me like like trying to condense fact from a vapor of nuance or whatever, but I think that these these are actually implicitly like hinted at or like around it because you actually see like the the character who is helping Michael Shannon like the the state trooper right his friend yeah played by Joel Edgerton played by Joel Edgerton is like he's working on the truck and he's talking to uh, um, what's her name Kirsten Dunst Kirsten Dunst and he basically is recalling the stories like yeah we've been friends ever since we were like kids but then like his his parents got involved with that 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 cult or whatever and then basically they they just like went off and I never saw him again and then there's another scene where uh, 
basically Kylo Ren, Adam Driver, is <laughs> is, in, is interviewing one of the nannies of the the head rancher's children, his children, his flock or whatever and stuff, right? So here's here's my my explanation personally for like what the rules of this this cult are actually going on and stuff, right? You are able to be admitted into this cult, but you have to like submit your children into like a flock so that they can actually be like groomed by this actual rancher. And that's the reason why Michael Shannon's kid, even though he was born on the ranch and conceived this kid on the ranch, the kid is being raised by the actual like head rancher. That's why he's it's that's why it's his kid in sort of that way. Does that make sense? Does that, that does make sense? Okay, yeah. yeah that's. Yeah. I I will admit that at least upon my first watch, I didn't quite. I did pick up on the idea that uh, Sam Shepard's character was the de facto father no. while while well, while yeah, they the, while they yeah. were on the uh, the the, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. plantation whatever. Um, what I was going to say earlier about what I feel about their intentions uh, to get the kid back and why that cult storyline works for me is because for me at least, and uh, this is probably stretching too far, but it just, it clicked and then I just can't not think it type thing. I I genuinely think that Sam Shepard's character, at least, and maybe because I just like to poke holes in cults, uh, (laughs) sees what this kid is as far as, like, he has these powers and they're kind of indescribable in a lot of ways because, like I said earlier, they're kind of inconsistent. (laughs) Um, And I like the idea or the notion that he's actually trying to get him back because if this were to get out, so to speak, it would just completely ruin all notion of whatever they believe in. And I think that goes for – and therefore he became a stand-in for a lot of religions, which is the minute this reality becomes a known reality – all others, it's like the fallacy, like all others cease to exist. And mm. he would rather have his be perpetuated than actually follow his own doctrine of like believing like what should be the truth, so to speak. I, I don't know. To uh, bring up uh, an, a series again that we are, I already brought up uh, just like five minutes ago mm. in The Leftovers, and this is something that I brought up previously on this uh, podcast, but it relates here very much so, which is, there are lots of cults and there are lots of groups of people who are led by extremely zealous and, and over-the-top people who have these claims. And every now and then, one of them is going to not necessarily be right, but one of the things that they say is going to be proven right to their followers. And, I mean, yeah, this is a guy who's leading a cult and then... in in the way he's describing it, a Jesus like figure arises from within their cult. Like, like people probably believe that Sam Shepard's character, even though we don't delve too much into the inner workings and teachings of this cult, he's been proven to be a a real prophet. Like he's been proven to believe, believe that what he was saying, preaching was right. Even if it was total bullshit, just because this kid happened to pop up while inside this cult. Man, let's just like cults and like the government are just like natural born enemies. It's like it, it seems it just always happens. Like even like the because it's the same thing. Like <laughs> oh, we got a libertarian here. Um, so basically, when uh, when when the raid was going on, so I was just like, yeah, this is kind of like Waco. I was like, I can see this kind of like paying out the same way. I was like, oh man. Um, but at the end of the day, the cult storyline is pretty minuscule. Uh, and even the sci-fi elements, not so much that they don't get a lot of screen time, but 
in general, they don't impact the narrative as much as I would say for me at least the emotional beats as to this journey that this father and the son are going on, and and that's why I, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought this, uh, you know, when when Michael Shannon has the kid, like he could be any kid, he could be a normal kid, or he could be this kid with special power, whatever, and his monologue still rings true, which is when he says, "I, I like worrying about you," you know, mm-hmm. like why we bring other people into this world in the first place. And and I just I, I like the idea that like he if anything he felt like he had like a debt to pay back so to speak like he, he brought him into this cult uh, you know and that might have not been the most pleasant even if the kid might not be able to understand yeah. I don't think that there was like crazy villainous things happening like sexual abuse which does happen in some culture yeah uh, I'm just saying I don't think not that I wouldn't like it wasn't seen no, in the actual film, but right. but we we see very early on of someone who's aiding them and brings Tim to their house and allows them to have shelter away from all of this, you know, these people who are chasing them, and then he pretty much abuses the privileges and breaks into the child's room and looks Does. into his eyes and all that, Does. which I mean, I'm not like going to try to say that that's something like rape or anything like that, but he is. He is kind of, I feel like, kind of breaking through trust there of, of being someone who's helping them there's and some, aiding them and then taking advantage of a situation. There's some latent zealotry that is still in that guy. Yes. because he, As they, far as like that, that latent like cult yeah. mentality. Do you of, miss the I farm? No. Yeah. Do you miss the farms? Like sometimes, yeah. Like it's, I think it's either sometimes or he just says yes. He misses or the farm. when he has, he has a line after uh, Michael Shannon, like, Hits him with a like a a bat or some sort of weapon, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome by Ties the way, because Michael Shannon's a fucking badass. Oh yeah! But uh, he falls off and he says like some like creepy ass line, to, to something to the tune of "I I just had to see it for myself again." Like, ah, like get the fuck out of here. Mm. Was well, that like? I'll hesitate to call it creepy in the sense that I don't think it's sexual in nature. No, or... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily saying sexual, but I feel like the the. Uh, misusing of trust and yeah. and like sort of his intentions the entire time like d- is he helping them just so he can kind of kind of sucker them into all so. letting their guard down and then going in for what he really wanted out of no it's one of those like ah. it's a moment of weakness well, exactly like it for me it's that he is because he left the cult, so he's trying. I think. yeah. Because uh, otherwise, he he would. So like, just that detail alone tells me that he's trying not to give in to this mentality of, yeah. uh, shall we say, like trying to ascend to a higher plane. But I, I feel like impossible. it's a little more ambiguous than either my what I'm saying or what you guys are saying. Like it's oh, kind yeah. of left there open, which is is fine. But I think well, it's, you were saying no, and we were just saying that we don't think it's that. So yeah. all I was trying to say, is I, I, I'm not, I'm not even. I, I just feel like that character is is very, in terms suspect. of suspect. Yeah, well, suspect, and also, it's just hard to really define what his motives were in the grand scheme. Like, was it a moment of weakness, or has he been planning this because he wants to look into the eyes of the the golden goose? For me, at least, and the reason why I err towards that he wasn't planning this, like the way we watched this entire journey unfold between uh, Edgerton and Shannon's characters. It seems very ramshackle in the sense that, like, both of them are just planning the very next step the moment the mm-hmm. last step ends. So yeah. that's why I don't 
particularly read into like some kind of grand plan, and I don't think they'd even be able to, or not they, he'd be able to even contact them yeah. unless they let him in. So I, I just feel like that's such a sinister thing for such a side character, yeah, mm-hmm. possibly. That uh, yeah. for me, at least, it, it, I, I can understand why somebody would read it that way, but uh, mm-hmm. that's why I don't fully get. I'm not. Re- I mean, I'm not like headset thinking that that's an actual thing but it's it's something that i felt like was was kind of a weird thing out there that what what are the true intentions of this person who is supposed to be aiding them in their struggle against the government and uh if you had jesus like you were no, <laughs> if no you like, had jesus if you were told to harbor jesus christ like even if you didn't believe in jesus christ but like literally your best friend knocked on your door and then with him is somebody in a white robe and a goatee and a long flowing hair who then in front of you walked over a puddle. And then he said, by the way, his name is Jesus Christ. I mean, can we stay here for the night? Like you, even if you weren't a part of a cult, but just imagine if you were before that, like you probably start to ask him questions. Like, do you have a Facebook? Can you really, (laughs) is there a heaven? (laughs) Do you have a certified Facebook? But, but Nick, it's like, he doesn't look a thing like Jesus. He talks like a gentleman. The way that you were imagined when you were young. Or it would be like America in the 21st century oh, when the first question would be joke. like, Thank you. can you fix my erectile dysfunction? Can you make my dick bigger? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Why is it always gravitated? <laughs> because that's what the internet has become. It's, oh, it's basically one big dick enlargement oh. advertisement. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, can baby. I get to my feelings, by the way, on the film? Because yes, I've like, oh. kind of just... Intermixed little things, but Go I have about yeah. your dick enlargement where you're feeling. Sorry, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think a little bit of Viagra would help this film. Oh, I, I don't know. It's kind of let's get to those feelings. <laughs> hey, hey. So, I have to say that I was not really a fan of uh, the film Midnight Special, at least on the first viewing. I feel like it would be really hard not to watch this film as many films, slightly different the second time through. Uh, That being said, I I will say uh, when I was totally on board, which was in the first act and the opening scene, which was absolutely fucking awesome, which we haven't hit on yet. But what an awesome, somewhat chase scene that involved them shutting the lights oh off in the car. Oh, my God. And that Joel, was so dope. Joel Edgerton putting on night vision goggles. And, and the which, title card smash? Yeah. Oh, fuck, man. But I, I mentioned this to you guys before, but I feel like it's such a simple thing that has probably been done in some other film and I just haven't noticed it. But like the, the, just the small action of him turning off the lights and getting around that by putting on night vision goggles, I thought was so fucking smart. And the, I was just like, fuck yeah! That whole like, opening sequence for me, I've not had that exact euphoria watching that as far as not knowing exactly what I was getting mm-hmm. into since I watched the movie Drive for the first time. Oh my god, it was like theater. fucking catnip for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy. But th- that that's, unfortunately for me, uh, I feel like why my rating is kind of where it is on this film, because the film never lived up to that awesome beginning. Ooh, it didn't. Had, it really didn't. I, I gotta admit that. Yeah, it just, it, it started off on a high. Didn't live up to it because it like didn't like it just didn't continue on with anything that kept me interested the way that the first 10 to 20 minutes of this film started off doing was that effortlessly cool as that moment and it this film wasn't really trying to be after that beginning part of the film like it wasn't trying to be that kind of movie like drive is like it was trying to be a much different science fiction drama hybrid film throughout and 
the beginning part that involves the cult, and we have very much mysterious happenings involving with them that involve them getting taken away on school buses to a high school gymnasium, which I just thought was so it just seems so over overdone, but also at the same time seemed so new for some reason. I don't know why it just worked for me. And I was just so on board with the whole interweavings of the story. But I think that's why ultimately I didn't end up liking this film as much. Not only did it become a very underwhelming science fiction story for me, but at the same time, it sort of got, uh, very focused in terms of what the film was going for and the, the characters it tried to develop. And it became less about the narrative, which I was more into early on. Like I was more into these multitudes of characters and factions working towards this goal. And for the most part, we jump off that train early on. And it's not just the cult too. Really the government has less and less involvement as the film wears on. And by the third act, it really just becomes about the characters that are, kind of running away and not about the people who are chasing them. And I just have to say for me, like I wasn't really interested in the film that this ended up being. I was more interested in the, the grand scheme of things and being more involved with the characters and not so specific as about the child and the people who are directly aiding him. Can I give a theory as to why? Well, not a theory, but <laughs> let me explain. Because if it was theory, I'm going to knock it down simply because you knocked down all my theories. <laughs> Can, uh, let me explain why I love the opening as an attachment to the rest of the movie, okay. not in spite of. Okay. Uh, for me, this reminded me. <laughs> uh oh. Here we go. Inherent vice. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> Are you uh, for real, though? <laughs> it reminded me... You guys are so silly. It reminded me of a Paul Verhoeven movie. Just kidding. I was going to say, you better not. No, you better not. This is going to sound weird until I explain it. But this is, for me, when it comes to uh, narrative economy, this is the inverse of a movie like John Wick. John Wick is an action movie that uses a nice little segue in the beginning of dramatic beats to set up the stakes of his action. This movie does the opposite. This movie uses action to set up the stakes of its dramatic story. Mm. And for me, I was so on board for that because mm -hmm. it's not that it ever became a movie I never thought it was, but because I was like... We don't get a background of this movie. It's not like we get flashback. Obviously, certain characters make mentions of things or whatever. But because we have to start in media res, we have to be on board with the idea that this kid cannot be captured and that this is life or death, so to speak, even if the characters don't understand why at that point. And that opening completely justifies what is going to happen for the next hour. Like, mm. and, and it only does that based on uh, uh, provocation and, and, and emotion alone. And that's why I was all on board with that opening. And, and I could totally understand why you were, and I actually agree very much with your assessment of this being inverse of what John Wick does in terms of its structure. But again, as I, I mentioned already, is, is I was so interested in what this film was doing early on that I, I really wanted that to come back, even if it wasn't throughout the entirety of the film. I feel like completely dismissing it or at least mostly dismissing it throughout left me wanting more from the story because I just have to be honest, I wasn't really that interested in what the main story of this film was because I really 
couldn't get into the whole relationship aspect between Michael Shannon, who I actually thought this is one of his worst roles that I've seen him in. Uh, so lots I, of choose from too. Yeah, he's been in a lot of things in terms of him being a supporting character, and he's mostly a supporting character here too. What's worse, this or General Zod? I mean, there's different kinds of bad. My, I'm, I'm not even saying that this I, is. I'm, I'm not even kidding. saying that this is is his performance is bad necessarily. I just he doesn't get a lot to do as far as yeah. Act, and I just I, I and like that. He, yeah. Well, he his his the things that I love about him get left at the door in this movie, which I feel like yeah. makes it his casting him kind of wasted a little bit because even though he's somewhat been typecast into playing the serious Kramer uh, of what characters are, are to be um, <laughs> good. I, I think so. Good uh, example. It, you, you, you wouldn't cast Michael Richards in a serious role and leave him with pretty much nothing to do that uses what he's known for and, and that's pretty much what this film does and even in the one scene where he has a chance to get mad like he, do, he doesn't go full. Like, he doesn't go full Michael Shannon. He kind of goes half Michael Shannon. That would it's... be a drastically different movie if he was given that reign, <laughs> I think. Because he is supposed to be an average yes. Joe dad. So This is just a quick little aside, but I totally agree with you because I wanted Michael Shannon who, to actually... Agree with who? Alex. Sorry, okay. Alex. Um, but you I... pointed to me. <laughs> no, I didn't. Fuck you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I totally agree with Alex in that I was ri- really ready and willing to see like Michael Shannon just like totally like cut loose and, and go crazy because and, and do and do the things that we have come to know and love about my, Michael my, Shannon. my favorite role from Michael Shannon isn't even from one of his films but from a, a video from funnier die where he actually like reads out this sorority like like cheerleader letter where he just like like intuates so hard and just like becomes crazy I just love it some of the best moments and that's the other thing about Michael Shannon is some of the best moments from a film that I, I know Nick didn't really love and I was really excited for and then ended up just kind of thought was pretty good uh, was a film called Frank and Lolo that we saw at Sundance. Some of the best moments of Michael Shannon, though, are his sort of weird undertone snarky remarks that come up every now and then yeah, in like films Yeah, he's a, he's a shows. person who shouldn't be able to do sarcasm, but then when he does, it's like, <laughs> It's Whoa. great. Yeah. It's really, like, he can really pull it off somehow, and his sort of weird, slow, monotone sarcasm is so fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Where he has that snarling, eh, you know, that's thing. But but, but it, 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 all, all of his best traits as an actor were completely thrown to the side in this film, and it's just kind of again that's why I didn't really love his character and his portrayal in this film because there was nothing there that showcased his talent. And can I say something that's a response to something you said okay. earlier? Yes, please. <laughs> um, earlier, you said something that I completely understand and I would say agree with even though it doesn't hurt the movie which is the idea that the movie starts to uh, find the cult storyline and even the government's uh, involvement to be like inconsequential Mm -hmm. to the narrative as a whole and I think that's by design because of the fact that (laughs) well as far as because from the very moment even though that opening scene was tense and I loved it like it was probably everything after that opening scene that I never once got a sense in a purposeful way that the government or the cult were any match for this kid like even if maybe Michael Shannon character or Joel Edgerton character would die at some point if they did I don't know when Mm -hmm. when I was watching it um, I never thought that they were some kind of actual uh, match for this kid so therefore I like the idea that they do become white noise and if I 
just bring this home as far as how I view this as this kind of analogy for just simple parenting. I love the idea that this, all these outside influences are so loud at the beginning and unless you are focused on getting your kid to where he needs to go, he or she needs to go, like you have to drown that out because at the end of the day, they're so ineffectual because you're the only person that is going to be the biggest influence on the biggest, I would say, supporter of where your child needs to go or whatever. And so therefore, like even thematically, I'm, I'm still on board with the idea that they're dropped because a, they were never that interesting to begin with for me. Like I, I didn't want to see another Waco parody and I, Mm -hmm. I don't care about government suits who don't understand what they're up against or whatever. (laughs) So you're just basically just like taking the piss out of every single archetype that went into this film. Right. And I I think (laughs) I, and I like the movie because of the fact that halfway through, even if they're still somewhat in it and, whatnot like it pretty much says none of this is important because the only thing that's important is this father and this son and yeah. what they were going to set out to do with each other it, it, it and i mean this is a it's much like a goofy movie it, it, it's a much different film but in terms of the the structure of it and, and in terms of what's important in terms of the story uh, i feel like a film like blue ruin has a lot of sort of comparisons with this film where the overall grand scheme of things, sort of the importance of it falls away as you get yeah. more and more into it. But I feel like that film, even though I don't love it, does a much better job of getting me interested in the in the title character and what it's trying to say. Where this film, and that's I think why ultimately it fails for me, is that I, I could not get interested in that story that it got more and more involved in as as the film went on. Another part of it, too, that I will say that I didn't really love, even though I like this character, which is really hard to say, to say that you didn't like somebody while you like the character. Uh, and that is, <laughs> yeah, the, the, that. The, yeah, that's the character of Adam Driver, who I feel like he puts on a pretty solid performance. I was interested in all of the lines of dialogue that his character, for the most part, had. But here, here is a character that we're supposed to believe is is this smart scientist character who we are never shown why he's smart like <laughs> like well, he, why do we like in what way would that change your opinion of this movie what the fuck do you do here i, I, I don't know Driver? but that was one of my I, favorite I, movies moments in the entire yes, movie i, I know he it was stares at the whiteboard and he has that moment that yep. is so cliched in every other movie which mm-hmm. is he cracks the code and then he's there's no explanation because why would there be like what that's would fine. we get out of it that's fine that that in and if if that is something that you took away from it, then that is t- completely di- opposite of what my reaction was, which was this is so stupid because we have this character who we are led to believe is this boy genius who apparently is trotted around by every single government agency at moments notice, almost like Lois Lane just showing up wherever he needs to be. Hey, now it's not the, that bad. Whenever well, the plot does, requires, why does the movie owe you an explanation? Like, I mean, no, I'm just. <laughs> like is is there? Uh, just asking. I mean, he's just special. It he, doesn't owe me. This isn't a it, movie it, it, about his character. I know. It do, and it doesn't owe me or anyone who's in the audience really anything. But if I'm supposed to believe that Adam Driver is this pretty much genius character who can go around and crack all these codes for multiple different types of things at a moment's notice and can just be there and find all this out. Why am I supposed to believe that if he's just a guy who shows up and just because they couldn't think of a good reason, he just cracks a code and then we move on? Like, I, I, I just, I couldn't it's, care. It's just so incidental to the entire I, movie. And here's the thing: there, whatever there's, code, there, there's he too many things about this film that are just supposed to be incidental to its, its, its. But from the its, first its, its scene plot. to the very last scene, this is about 
Michael Shannon and his son. So I feel like so like you guys are getting like drawn into the 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 cotton candy of the movie instead of just like I, what what is it about the 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 father and the son that doesn't work? That's I mean you see, but here's the thing. I I have to say that that's almost like somebody talking about a superhero film, and when somebody tries to pluck holes in it and talk about plot holes and everything, you're just supposed to enjoy it because it's superheroes fighting. No, I I. I I think that as much as okay so there's there's the story at the core which is a father and a son and then there is the sort of like pseudo cult sci-fi shell that's around it how many licks does it take to get to a Tootsie Roll Pop sort of like situation, okay? Even if like there's – breaks on through. Even, even if – And I, I'm sorry, by the way, that it's going to be a, a quote that's going to be used over and over again if we ever get the chance of Tucson <laughs> just saying how many licks does it take to get to a Tootsie Pop? Okay. That so was amazing. E- even, <laughs> even if there's cracks in the shell, like the, the core of itself is still intact. I think that still like, like powers through in that because that's the anchor of what this film is supposed to be about. But everything else, the the extemporaneous stuff, like uh, I mean, the extraneous stuff, such as like Adam Driver stuff, that's just fucking annoying. That's just fucking annoying, and it gets in the way of like you being able to enjoy the whole of the movie for itself. But yeah. the core of it is still intact. Not for me, it wasn't. That's okay. Here's what I'll say: two things, which is a about the code. There is no code he could have said in that scene that wouldn't make you actually think less of him. Like when if you don't show it, it when, when you're such a tertiary character then you're still... It's not even about not showing it. There's no explanation whatsoever even what he was really talking about. What do you mean there's no... I mean, he he looks at the numbers yeah. and he's able to discern that the numbers okay, are but not the whole there, picture. There's, Much there's like not the even movie, a... you shouldn't pay attention to every number. You should only pay attention to the numbers that matter. But, that okay, fine, if we want to go about it that way. But there's no explanation of... There's, there's not even a... There doesn't have to be a, oh, if I did this and this and put this together, it equals this. There, there, there has to, at least for me, in, in that sort of aha moment, be this is what I've gotten out of this situation. Instead, there's nothing in, oh, we need to go to these coordinates. Like, there, there's nothing there for you. And I, I just... Eh. Because, of, for me at least, like, because we approach the child's story very much through his eyes. Like, the adults are leading by his charge so to speak and mm-hmm. he, he says these things like we need to go here whatever I, I appreciated the fact that it doesn't matter how smart Adam Driver's character is he's on the same plane of uh, understanding understanding as the adults like and, and they're the ones who are following the kids like the kid actually doesn't like explain why it's those coordinates why it's, so why would Adam Driver be able to crack a code that even the kid can't crack he just inherently it, it's like can you explain the English language to somebody no that's it, that's interesting like trying to explain the English language because you couldn't do it with the actual language itself but rather you have to use a, a an analogous language much like code breaking sort of like code breaking but the reason why Adam Driver's character was able to like solve that code and crack that code is because it is actually based on something that is actually like that he can't understand, which is basically this kid somehow is bouncing off different radio waves and just like using that in order to like basically hone in these coordinates in itself. Like they they talk about that. It's like this is the whole reason why the the fucking government came to that 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 Waco sort of compound for the cult because like. Where the fuck did you get this information from? This is like th- – this is so advanced that they have not created a punishment high enough for this level of treason. That's something that they actually <laughs> yeah. said, yeah. 
Well, there is that kind of cool scene where uh, the, the kid, and I completely forgotten his name in the movie. Fuck or, it. Or the kid. The yeah, kid. sure. Why not? Uh, where he just starts spouting off this advertise me here on the radio in Spanish, which was actually kind of cool. And Joel Edgerton's like, what the fuck is this? And he thinks it's like some weird communication thing. And then Michael Shannon flips on the radio and finds the channel where the community, and I think I thought that actually was, was really cool because Mm -hmm. it has a payoff to it. Like it it has a a part that, that equals the end where it's like, holy shit, is this some crazy weird spiritual thing? He's like, no man, he's just fucking reciting a Spanish commercial on the radio right yeah. and that's what i actually i do like when you're an audience member watching that scene and it's like you just said when it first starts and he starts like you actually you can't possibly uh else you did predict it i good for you whoever you are <laughs> but like that's not the thing that jumps to your head mm-hmm. but i like the notion of it's not until michael shannon tunes to the right wave that you can possibly understand what's happening even though you can't actually understand the language so i I don't know thematically like all these little details whether it reveals this or it doesn't reveal that or the way it it it, even just that little moment of him tuning to the right uh radio wave i i love that there's so much unknown about this but it doesn't matter because you can always at the end of the day at least for me uh get in touch with the emotions at this movie because that is laid bare and and that's 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 what I really liked about the movie. Do you guys want to delve into final ratings and final sure. thoughts on this film? Yeah. So. Um, and do we want to start where we started with Toussaint? Sure, I can okay. do that. Um, you know, I I walked out of this film just giving a recap, I, I really, really fucking enjoyed the beginning. Like that opening title sequence. Oh my god, you know I love opening title sequences and that was just so fucking dope. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the, the the middle part was just sort of... I, 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 I could take it or leave it. There, there was a lot of things that I felt like didn't pan out. I thought there were some things that I, I thought were a little too trite and played too much like sci-fi tropes. And I thought the ending, which is guilty of that same sort of way of like like playing an adherence to a, a sci-fi trope, it felt like if it is not a spiritual successor to Tomorrowland, it is definitely it's a fucking – it is definitely a spiritual successor to Escape to fucking Witch Mountain, okay? I can totally see that parallel being like – because it's, it's very much infused in this kind of like 80s throwback like like sci-fi cinema aesthetic. And I like how none of you guys brought up E.T. throughout this entire – Yeah, bit. I was going There's to. There's a reason. But – Okay. Just not like smacked it down. <laughs> so I even mentioned it when we left the theater. There, there's a, there's a reason why I think that's bullshit because I actually <laughs> like read uh, an interview from the actual director who's just like I'm tired of people comparing this film to <laughs> ET. Like he actually says that I'm tired of people comparing it to Spielberg because that's the only shorthand that they have for this sort of like tone yeah, and, and and mood of a film. First of all, that's cranky, and second of all, that's like making a movie that's a thriller and water that has to do with aquatic animals and saying, "Well, I've never." seen Jaws before so don't compare it like everybody's seen E.T. so every filmmaker has to be influenced by E.T. if they're making a movie I mean, that is somewhat he, he says that, mean he that, says he that he's seen E.T. but he's just like right. you know it's like I'm not trying to because people especially go, in that one scene in the film which no one's talking about at all where Michael Shannon rides off into the sky <laughs> with the kid in his basket no, 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 like, the, the, the thing that was the contention for the director was just like <laughs> I have no like he, he he said that he has no like contention with people like going into it and like enjoying E. T. and enjoying his film. Yeah. But he hates that people are are subconsciously like judging his 
film on the merit of whether or not it adheres to this formula and this mood of an E.T. films. It should be a film on its own, and it is a fucking film on its own. It is, but that's like missing the point of – not missing the point, but like I, I guess all the reviews I ever read about this movie cited E.T. not as a source but as a kindred companion. I mean I don't know how you can't watch this and not think that this movie didn't get made without E.T.'s existence as far as I, how he – how did he get this much money to make a movie with this fucking ending? See, like, see, see, no, I'm just saying. Like, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not contesting that, that, that E.T. in its place in cinema and in, in its place in sci- science fiction cinema obviously was the far off like spiritual like thematics like precedent to this film. But I'm saying that this is not meant to be a, a Spielberg like revisionist sort of like vibe film. If you're fucking looking for that, you should watch Super 8. That's not what this film is. Right. I just feel like what you're saying and what the director is saying is – quite dismissive of what film critics were actually saying because I don't I did not read that many if any that were trying to say that this was directly influenced by E.T. as far as like you know he set out to make his own E.T. because that's clearly not what he did but it's so silly when he's like I don't want my movie to be brought up in the same conversation he doesn't say he doesn't want it to be that's brought up in the, what he's not like. saying he doesn't want it to be brought up in the same conversation he just wants his film to be able to stand on its own without having to always like live in the shadow of E.T. well uh, first of all I no film stands on its own. Like that's just to have to have cinema. to have the measuring stick of its quality being like how much like ET is it? Right. And I did not read a single review out of all the reviews I read that well, were even. No, I'm just saying that 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 were even close to that kind of thesis. Unfortunately, in in the time we live in now, where everything is so universe based and so. Related right. to like other he, films, if like they're reading BuzzFeed. Sure, maybe yeah. he came across that seventeen but, but, ways this is related and takes no. place in the ET universe. Okay. <laughs> but but I'm not even trying to say that that that's how it should be or anything no, like no. that. But it's just impossible to not think about how things are related to other forms of media, and especially in the same sort of medium that is in, which is film, for sure. Uh, so Toussaint, why don't you finish up your, your final thoughts on Midnight Special? Okay, so my final thought on this uh, for a rating is that I give it a 3 out of 5. I really enjoyed it. I don't give it a 3.5 out of 5 because I, I still have a lot of like like middling like, little problems on it. But I came out of it like really enjoying it. I'll probably like pick it up out of Redbox. I'll probably like rent it on Amazon and like, watch it again because it's, it's a pretty good film. It's not perfect, um, but you know I would definitely like recommend it. It's, it's interesting. It is an interesting film. Nobody can say that it's not interesting. Um, it's it's an interesting, okay science fiction film that also has a really nice conceit at its heart of a, of a father son dynamic. Okay, Do you right. want, want to, I will next? go then. Okay, uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I take, I would say, <laughs> umbrage. Maybe Umbridge, maybe just uh, concerned over calling it a sci-fi movie because I just genuinely don't think it is. It has a sci-fi element, but is that what it's trying to, shall we say, encapsulate? Yeah, I, 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 I recant I that. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I'm just saying as far as how two people can see it differently. Yeah. So for me, and the, and the reason why the movie works, I think, and that maybe that's why I liked it the most out of here, is that I don't give a shit about the sci-fi elements in this movie, I think I do. Like, and I think that's the thing is you're a sci-fi fan, so mm-hmm. you're coming at it with a more, shall we say, ear to the ground with for that kind of uh, aspect and mm-hmm. as to how it adheres or doesn't, or if it should or shouldn't. I, uh, but because I don't care about any of that in this particular movie, and that that doesn't mean I don't 
I can't like a sci-fi element in another movie, like something like Coherence or Primer, where that's the main draw that I like of those movies. Because I think this movie's heart is way more uh, honestly than its brain ever becomes, uh, I'm just on board for this all the way. It's not that I think it's perfect or that it's some kind of masterpiece. At the end of the day, something I said to you guys when we left the theater, I'm just so happy this got made with this budget, with this cast. Like, this is a movie that shouldn't exist anymore. Like, I, you know, if we still had blockbusters, uh, which we don't around here at least, um, this would be the kind of movie I would be excited if I saw, quote-unquote, the VHS laying on the shelf, and I'm like, what is this? I bring it home, I watch it, and and I, I, I just wouldn't be quite... Uh, shall we say, prepared for what I was about to watch, and yeah. and that's exactly with the the, the name Midnight Special. Like, as much what the as fuck does that mean? Exactly, it's and, supposed to be like one of those late nights. Like, and now on Tuna Vision Midnight Special. Yeah. And as far as like, <laughs> that was very colorful. Oh, thank you. And as far as like the the world we live in today. It, it you you can't go into a movie without knowing what it's about or what is uh you know i mean if you really tried you you can't be a fan of movies let's say that much you can't go into a film that is in um uh, in terms of it a major release and not know yeah. about it because like you can go into like we did and go into a film festival but but that is right. a completely different animal than a right. wide released film yes and yeah. even that is hard to do you yeah. know um yeah. but like this trailer i had seen already and so if i had, and i probably wouldn't have watched this trailer had i not seen it attached to another indie movie we probably saw and so just by nature of watching the trailer and seeing that at some point they, there would be a scene with the boy, which I now know to be something that happens in the first act. So it wasn't a spoiler, but of him with the eyes and the person's room and whatnot. Like it, it, it just kind of blows my mind that this got greenlit in the first place and seems to have, I would say, to exist in the way Jeff Nichols wanted it to get made. Because at no point did I ever find that he was trying to, con- shall we say, conform to what the audience would want and rather just tried to tell the story he wanted to tell. And that includes and goes all the way up to the ending, which I will really quickly briefly mention that the, the final, not the final shot, but the, the final climax of Kristen Dunst letting uh, the child go to the, uh, to, Toussaint dubbed Tomorrowland place. Yeah. Um, the architecture of that place, besides being gorgeous, I love how bare it was and how it doesn't inspire awe other than its existence because it, what wasn't there before is now there. And that's the only reason why it's, you know, as it, it, it creates that reaction from her. And so instead of like getting like flying spaceships and like the, the world of tomorrow, so to speak, we have something that is so unfathomable, something that we so wholly unexpected in its presentation that we just have to accept it for what it is. And I, and I think that's the heart of what this movie is. Okay. Uh, so cool. I, I give it three and a half out of five. Cool, man. Yeah. I like that you liked it so much. I think that's that's great, and I, I feel like this is a, a film. And not that there the these don't happen often, but I I totally understand uh, why anybody would really like this film, and I I feel like their feelings are valid, and I I don't have the same feelings. But uh, this isn't an open and shut case for me at, at all. But I, I still didn't really care for it, mostly for what I was describing earlier, because this wasn't really a movie that I was ever going to 
be totally invested in because of where we ended up with the story. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the first 30 minutes of this movie, especially the opening scene, which was just amazing. Uh, I think that's something we've already kind of gone over. I, I, I liked characters in this film, even if I didn't like their character, like Adam Driver. Like, I, I, I liked what his portrayal was and I liked what his character was supposed to be. But in terms of how they ended up using him, I again didn't really like it a lot at all. <laughs> and it, it's a weird kind of situation to be in. Uh, and uh, an actor that I, I really love was completely wasted in this film. And that was Sam Shepard who has almost like a cameo early on. And it, it's too bad because he's such a great um, performer, and then we see him have a very interesting introduction into this film, and then again, as most of the cold is, he's just completely left alone and never heard from again, which is unfortunate for me because I would have liked to have that storyline become more involved, and that is not the direction that this film went in at all, and that's totally fine because that's the story that this film ultimately wanted to tell, but it was a story I wasn't that interested in, so... I gave this film two out of five stars because I just couldn't really care. So that was how I felt about Midnight Special. That's okay, man. That it is. Yeah. It's totally okay because I'm not gonna go that far, but <laughs> of course you won't. This was a movie that was very comfortable in the story it wanted to tell, and it just wasn't a story I was really interested in. So yeah, there you go. So next week uh, we'll move on to episode fifteen. No, episode sixty. Getting up there. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Over the hill. Hi for AARP now. Whoa. <laughs> Don't get too excited there. Uh, Maybe not in this country. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Just going to keep going up and up. Oh, man. Uh, next week on an episode, we'll have another film that you definitely have to call a classic in terms of uh, the way that people um, react to when they see it, whether mm -hmm. it be for the first time or the tenth time. And that is uh, David Fincher's film, Fight Club. What? What? You're not supposed to talk about that. Oh, uh, you son of a bitch. I don't get it. Good. Okay, so we're doing a movie next next week. Cool. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're, we're, we're going to get past that. Are you still gonna... going with this joke? Yeah. yeah. He is. <laughs> just beating that dead horse a little harder just to see if it bleeds. Do you bleed? <sighs> that was one of the worst trailer lines I've you ever will. heard. That was so weak. But you will. That was Thanos week, man. Not yeah, good. Yeah. Anyways, getting away from superheroes and back Please. on to Fight Club. <laughs> we could just do an entire... We could just make our podcast set it around superhero movies. Would you like that, Nick? No! God, <laughs> no! Shut up! No! I was thinking the other day that at some point we were going to have to like do a sub-podcast where just you two just continue to talk about superhero movies. Because no, God, I please, nothing. no. I have no, no, you apparently still have lots to contribute after Batman want to. Superman because uh. I, I am just done. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for you, but not really. So anyways, though, Brad Pitt, Edward Norton in a absolutely um, – a very easy film, I feel like, to talk about for people, so I feel like it'll generate plenty of discussion next week. Mm -hmm. And if you have any feelings on it out there, and I know plenty of people have feelings on whether it be good or bad about Fight Club, feel free to send them along to Film Shank. Film Shank. Film Shank. Fight Club. I think we should change our name to that. I think Film it Shank. Film Come in next week. I was going to say, that's our uh, superhero sub-podcast, Film Shank. Fuck you, man. <laughs> That's not nice. Filmtankshow.com uh, is where you can find our episodes and filmtankshow at gmail.com. 
<laughs> Nick has gotten up and left, and he has went all the way to the refrigerator already to find his next yeah, to find his next alcoholic beverage. Uh, no, but you can send your thoughts on Fight Club or any film, really, uh, that you would like to talk about to filmtankshow at gmail.com. And you can find our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can find us also on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. So from Tucson Egan, somewhat Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank. And we'll catch up with you next time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.